For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of this podcast. I'm Lucas, I got you right here, no Chris tonight, but we have a very special reoccurring, officially reoccurring guest that I will let Uriah introduce. All right, everybody, tonight we welcome an important fixture in the Sixers community. You've seen him before and after 76ers games, offering both his insight and analysis on NBC Sports Philly along with Mark Jackson and Amy Fadul. But tonight we welcome back Coach Jimmy Lynham to the Sixersons podcast. Good evening, Coach. How's your summer been? How you doing, guys? Yeah, summer, uh, unfortunately, is fast uh, <laughs> fast uh, heading over the hill. Uh, don't ask me where it went. I, I feel you there, Coach. We're both back in school teaching now, and it's just, uh, yeah, no, we feel you there for sure. Yeah. But, but let's let's just jump into it because you're a busy man. We don't want to keep you too long, but we do have a couple questions for you. So I'm going to start out with this one first. Coach, in your opinion, what are some aspects in the current NBA that you enjoy as well as some that maybe you miss in the prior years? Things that I enjoy about the NBA today. I think the, the game has become a much higher level in terms of the skill set of players. You see uh, big guys, uh, Embiid, Jokic, uh, you know, able to shoot the ball, pass the ball. And I think the team aspect, the way players like look for one another, they penetrate the ball. And as a result of putting pressure on defense, they share the ball. You know, spot up shooting has become a huge factor in the NBA. So I love uh, I love those aspects. The fact that players are so well-rounded in terms of skill set and the fact that they share the ball. Uh, something that I don't like, I don't like, and, and I'm going to say this very specifically, I love pick and roll, always love pick and roll. I thought mm-hmm. we were a little bit ahead of the curve back in the day running pick and roll. However, too much dependence on pick and roll today to the exclusion of a lot of other good basketball concepts and strategies. So they could have a little bit more balance for me toward what they're doing because that mm-hmm. pick and roll is the top item on the menu is a given. I mean, some of these teams are running a hundred plus pick and rolls a game. Certainly coach. Certainly. I, and I, I agree with you. I think maybe the um, frequency of the pick and roll can be a little downsized for me personally. Uh, what I miss, I'll start out with what I miss. I miss particularly old school post-ups outside of Jokic and Joel. There aren't too many players that post up in today's game. And that as somebody that grew up with the post game and that I played in high in middle and high school using post-up moves that I still play whenever I play with my friends out at the rec leagues or whatever, I, I miss it because like kids nowadays don't, don't know how to use proper post moves anymore. Well, so that's, that's uh, let me interrupt you to say what, uh, to focus on what you just said, the last statement, I mm-hmm. think the main reason, I mean, obviously we know there's a, a great emphasis on three-point shooting. But mm-hmm. what you just said, I agree 100% with. 
not by coincidence. Jokic post and bead post. Those two guys know how to post. You can throw them into the ball into the post and have a degree of confidence that they're going to score and or get fouled. The problem mm-hmm. is why there's not more post play. There aren't good post players, period, for me. <laughs> you want to be a player where they, your, your coach, your team, your teammates are going to look for you and ask you to score in the post. You have to be able to establish and show first that you're able to score when you get a ball in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back down to the youth levels of coaches teaching post-up plays, for sure. I can't, uh, you know. It's uh, I don't know where it starts, whether it's not enough uh, drill work, not enough emphasis. But I mean, I, if I asked you, you know, give me a list of, of outstanding post players. I got news. We're going to run dry in a hurry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sure. I definitely see. I definitely see an imbalance in the game, coach. And and that's something that, like Lucas was saying, I grew up watching the, the old school post moves. And, and that's something that that I think I wish would be brought back. I, can you give me an idea of what you think could bring that back? Is there should is it like a coaching yeah, yeah, thing I, or I, ownership? You, watch, I think you just did on. Let me ask you this. I'll, I'll give you a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Let's say time machine hit you and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar walked in the door. You think whatever team he went to this coming season, you think they'd post them? I, I would think so. I would hope He's so. He's leading uh, a score in the history of the league. Yeah, you follow me. And he basically yeah. scored with one. One move, his sky mm-hmm. hook. I mean, come on. Well, let's put it this way. If you had him and didn't post him, you're going to lose your job in a hurry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. For sure. complete, oh, you're going to watch. Dominance. Shaq. Shaq walks through the same time machine. Shaq's on your team. You're going to post Shaq? Right. Of course yeah. you are. Because yeah. these guys are lethal when they're down there. And my, yeah. my question is, who's so lethal in the NBA that, that, you know, you think it's a travesty that they don't post them more. There are none. That's the point. Mm. Hey, Joe, we have the one guy who's probably the best post player in Joel Embiid, and, and we see where what he's doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, Coach, on any basketball level, and a lot of people who watch you on TV, they know that you coach Charles Barkley, and they know that you have a, a lengthy career in coaching. You were in Portland for a minute. But I want to devote this this portion to your playing career. Uh, so the question is, you know, going back to when you played for St. Joe's, uh, you played in the Final Four, if I'm not mistaken. Is there a moment that you had as a player that stands out to you the most? Yeah, I would. Well, you just uh, mentioned. Obviously, I had the good fortune of playing on a lot of good teams at St. Joe's with good players, and a, you know, Hall of Fame coaching Jack Ramsey. But, uh, no, to make my sophomore year to be uh, a Final Four team, the field wasn't as big as it, you know, is today. Uh, my recollection, maybe 32 teams, and I'm not even sure that's correct. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a big deal. You know, we, we lost badly, soundly defeated by the eventual champ, Ohio State, in the, in the first round. And then played what, what back then was a consolation games that won four overtimes. We're probably the reason mm. there is no consolation game today. You know, they were waiting forever to play the title game, and we were out there playing what seemed like a game and a half uh, in a consolation. Was that before the NIT? No, the NIT was was there. Uh, I'd say that uh, the NIT probably uh, way back, you know, was more, more prevalent, uh, more prestige, more important than the mm-hmm. NCAA, believe it or not. 
And oh, I wow. think, uh, yeah, it was. And it, but a little right shortly before I started school, uh, way back, uh, you know, the NCA started to like make its move, if you will. And mm-hmm. it was the, 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 the tournament of prestige and only one team from each conference <laughs> was able to go. I mean, which is pretty incredible. You know, you'd have site. Let's just take an example, like the Atlantic Coast Conference. They may have had three teams in the top ten. I remember one year, uh, David Thompson was playing at NC State, mm. and NC State beats Maryland in the ACC championship game, and Maryland was like number six in the country. Maryland did wow. not get an invite to the NCAA tournament because only wow. one team per only one team per conference could go. Mm. Well, I didn't know that there was a consolation round. So you just taught me something new, Coach. I did not realize that about NCAA basketball. Yeah, back in the day. Back in the day, there yeah. was. Uh, and I'm not sure why why it was there. But uh, I think that game, I didn't mean that, four, four overtime games. You can imagine today, you know, with TV yeah. waiting to play a championship game and mm-hmm. four overtimes and a consolation game plays. I remember one, and it was in the Big East tournament, and I think it was UConn versus Syracuse, and it had Johnny Flynn and Hashim the beat teams respectively. I could be wrong, but I think that's the last over four double four time overtime game that I saw. Yeah, but that, that was wasn't, I'm sure that was in the regular tournament or even in the championship. Uh, it, it was, was yeah. a meaningful game. It wasn't a consolation. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so coach mentioned David Thompson. If if people do not know who that was, he was so good and impactful that Michael Jordan had him speak at his Hall of Fame speech. But we'll, we'll move on to the next question for coach. So, coach, you you had these great memories as a player, but now we want to get one memory that stands out to you most when you were the head coach of, of any team. Can you give us a play? You know, maybe it was a timeout and a game-winning shot. Like, like what comes across your mind? Uh, it's hard uh, to pick, uh, you know, like uh, specifics because, like, I, I coached on, you know, the collegiate level and then the NBA level, uh, and they're, they're both terrific. I enjoyed both uh, coaching careers immensely, uh, but they are different. And I, I would say the probably the most dramatic uh, play uh, in terms of being on the sideline was when my uh, St. Joe team beat the number one team in the country in the NCAA tournament, DePaul. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, it was a game-winning play at the end. And, you know, they were the number one seed in the tournament. They didn't give us much of a chance to, you know, be even close, let alone win the game. So in terms what was of drama, the- I mean, unless you're going to, win an NBA series, you know, in a, in a game seven final shot. Right. Uh, that would, uh, what I just cited would be hard to top. Was well, it a I jumper or a layup? What was it? They a one-on-one foul shot. We ran off. I think they thought we were going to take a timeout, which we didn't. We rebound the miss one down and they panicked in the open court. I had, you know, had some very good players. I'd have a guard by the name of Brian Warwick, who was mm-hmm. an NBA player, probably played about five years in the league. And he, you know, drove through that the, the ball guys were instead of retreating on defense, as I say, they panicked and they kind of mm. ran at him and he went by them like they were statues <laughs> and, and got the ball in the front court, you know, where we had more players than they did, mm-hmm. you know, meaning more offensive players and they had defensive players and work through the ball ahead 
to an open baseline jump shooter. His name was Lonnie McFarland, was a freshman from Roman Catholic High School. And as he caught the ball, there were two ball players kind of in running back, like, in, let's say, in the lane area. And mm-hmm. they were in panic mode. Both players ran out to guard the jump, the jump shooter. Wow. And, of course, my guy just slid in under the basket. Instead of shooting the jumper, he passed the ball into the goal. And John, John Smith was the guy's name, a 6'5 kid from Bishop Newman High School. We got to find that on YouTube. We got to find that yeah. on YouTube, Lucas. That's, yeah, well, it, that's it, our... It's on YouTube. Yeah, we, we oh, will. it is on? Okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. He, he's, okay. He, when I say wide open, you know, he, he can count the three before he lays it up. <laughs> there's no, nobody mm. near him. Wow. So he, he laid it up, I think, like four seconds going to three. They have no timeouts. And Mark Aguirre, who was a, a perennial NBA wow. All-Star. I remember Aguirre. Yeah, he, he takes the ball out of the net tucks it under his arm and just stood there and, you know, mm. kind of in a daze. Mm. Wow. If you don't mind, Coach, I've, I've been waiting for this actually for weeks now um, just to be able to swap coaching stories. So I used to coach middle school basketball for six years in U- in Ewing, New Jersey. And, you know, at that that age, they're just learning. They, they're excited about basketball. And I remember one particular play. It was a fourth quarter tight game. And my tallest player at my center, his name was Colin. Shout out to Colin. He's probably like in his late 20s now. And my point guard, Jared, really talented, really quick, elusive player. They had been playing zone the whole game, our opponent. So their coach, for whatever reason, was like, all right, let's go man to man. So I called timeout and I said, all right, guys, they're going man. Let's run, <laughs> ironically, uh, pick and roll. So I was like, let's, let's do a pick and roll. And, you know, at that age, you just kind of don't know, like, how they're going to react to it. But Colin goes up, you know, to to help out Jared. Jared waits the right amount of seconds, and then he blows past. Colin rolls to the rim. Uh, Jared gives the pass right where he needed to be. Colin scored the layup, and he got fouled. And just to see those mm. guys high-fiving and just knowing that, like, these guys listened. They were, they were like a team playing the right way. That that really stands out to me. I really, really remember that play and cherish that, that moment. Yeah, I would say that that you you just uh, kind of recited really what what sports is about. You know, you you have a group, you you try to get a plan together you, that you hope is going to work if everybody does their part. And ultimately, when you're successful, particularly if you win a game at the end, mm-hmm. because of like things that you work on, it, it it's a lot of satisfaction. And I think that's why it's so appealing to so many players, you know, of all ages, male, female, whatever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had, um, I, I was never a head coach. I was always an assistant, but there was one drill that my coach, uh, the first time I was an assistant, my coach, uh, let me run with the kids and coach, you might remember this drill. It's an old style box out drill where you have the ball on the floor. You got one guy's back to the ball and the other guy facing the guy whose backs to the ball. And when you blow the whistle, the other guy, the guy whose backs to the ball has to box out the guy who's facing the ball for about five seconds. And the first time that I ran that drill, I felt like a real coach for the first time, just because I, I saw the buy-in with the kids and I saw them pushing, putting in their all on that drill. So that was just kind of a cool moment for me personally. Yeah, that, 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 unfortunately, I would say that, that, that not, the drill hasn't vanished. There are, st- there are still coaches who, you know, will, will touch on that, but unfortunately, the skill is a lost art. You don't see a lot of players today 
yeah. who are real proficient, mm-hmm. at, you know, putting some kind of a check on their man. Yeah. It, they're so athletic that a lot what players today, unfortunately, they'll tend to do is they'll once they they just follow the ball, they see the ball going, and they they ignore their man. They just mm-hmm. go after the ball, you know, hoping that they can track it properly. But the problem is, if you don't get a body on your guy, he can be like-minded, meaning mm-hmm. he can think the same way you can. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and if you're not impeding his, you know, you're on the inside if you're on defense, he's mm-hmm. behind you. So it's a good, good you'll, you'll see that the good teams, watch the Boston Celtics. Yeah. Uh, they're fundamentally yeah. pretty sound and, and they'll, they'll, they'll box out. I thought the Sixers were a decent defensive rebounding team. But if yeah. you don't do a decent job of it, you're going to give some games away. Yeah, um, I, I I'll tell you what, Coach. I'm five nine, and I, in high school, I, I I wasn't skilled enough or confident enough to play on the perimeter. So I was playing power forward at like five nine, five ten, and the only reason I was able to do it because I was tough and I knew how to rebound. I, I was, you know, because thanks to that drill. So I, I certainly understand where you're coming from. But I guess my next question for you is: Is there anything that, if you were the NBA commissioner, is there anything that you would want to change in the NBA? Uh, you know, it's uh, my more the presentation of the game uh, mm. than with respect to specific rule changes. You know, I'd be open minded enough to listen. I, I'm a consensus kind of guy. I, I'd like to hear, you know, what the group has to say. Uh, you know, when we would go to coaches meetings or GM meetings. Uh, and if you had a thought, I'd, you know, tell us why you feel that way. So rather than get into specifics, you know, there might be something with respect to offensive goaltending. But for me, the popularity of the game is based on the fans really enjoying it. And mm-hmm. I think uh, as much progress that has been made, both in the way the game is played, in the rules, in the refereeing, I think that the technology with respect to replay, I don't think they're doing a good enough job. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that the replay is starting to distract from the game. And I think so you would want, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's a tool that if used properly can be, you know, really a huge plus, but I'll give you one example. And I, I remember the specifically and the commissioner at the time was David Stern, who was maybe the best commissioner for me or as good as anybody in the history of sport. And he uh, had a phobia almost about getting calls right. And one of the things that he didn't like because he didn't like the look of it was like if you're on a breakaway layup and somebody comes running from behind, you know, and they they kind of rack you, you know, they, they they don't take you to the ground, you know, but they just they thwart your your effort like to drive in by yourself and lay a ball. Up. He thought that yeah. cosmetically that looked really bad and it presented mm-hmm. the game in a bad light. And I think most of us agree with them. All right. Now that, you know, what they call clear path play. Mm-hmm. I mean, they stopped the game and they're like, they're analyzing is, is this guy over there on that side ahead of, you know, to determine was mm-hmm. this a clear path play? I mean, mm-hmm. the purpose of the rule, you follow me, was this the stop takedowns of guys who are by themselves out in the open floor and somebody's chasing them down. Plus it can be a dangerous play. If a guy opts to foul a guy like that from behind, they totally distort the purpose of the rule and they bring in replay that might take two, three minutes yeah. to determine what, whether it was a mm-hmm. clear path or not, please. Yeah. I, I think replay is certainly something that the NBA can improve upon. 
for certain. For me, when when you talk about the takedown plays, you know what play always comes to mind when I think of like the first like hard takedown is when Kirk Rambis got clotheslined by Kevin McHale in in that Lakers uh, Boston matchup. Oh, uh, yeah, correct. I'm, I'm a little hazy. Rambis got clotheslined, or McHale got clotheslined. Uh, Rambis, Rambis got clo- Rambis got clotheslined. Okay, I know yeah. Ram- I know Rambis better than I know McHale, obviously, but not. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that, but I remember to play. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the, the point being that open court, you know, plays, especially today, I, I guess it doesn't have to be especially they, even back in the day. When you when somebody is airborne, it's not about how big he is, how strong he is, how athletic he is. When he's airborne, if you want to do damage, you can mess a guy up real, real bad. And you have well, to protect rules, have to protect airborne players. And particularly today when these guys, I mean, they go flying through the air like, uh, come on. It's, it's, it's unbelievable some of the things that these guys are capable of doing. And under the yeah. guise of, quote, you know, like uh, defense, no. You know, you're going to get somebody really, really seriously injured if you don't, yeah. you know, kind of rein that in. If I were to throw my two cents in real quick, Lucas, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm always about player safety. And we saw Chet Holmgren get injured this week. I heard the conditions of the gym. Keith Pompey had mentioned that the condensation was really bad. Mm-hmm. I, I would think, Coach, that maybe the NBA should push back those photographers and stuff in that front. Well, I've I've seen a lot of players like yeah, that's not have enough room to land. I'd be with you with that. Yep. Unfortunately, that you know you know what that's about. It's about yeah. seating, and yeah. uh, you know you could you take a row or two a seat? Sure, you could, but you must start doing the math. Yeah. Each one of those seats, you know, is bringing in X number of dollars. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. I hear you. That's, uh... yeah, and we just saw about player, going back to the thing about player safety, I got two quick points before we move on. We talk about player safety, and you talk, you look back at this past playoffs, Gary Payton Jr., or Gary Payton II, he missed two rounds of the playoffs because of that exact type of play that you just mentioned, Coach. So I, I'm right. in agreement there. And then the other thing is, you said David Stern was your favorite commissioner, and he he is he did a lot for the game. I'm curious though, and you, because you said that, what are your thoughts of Adam Silver so far? His job as commissioner? Oh, I'm an Adam Silver guy. I mean, he was uh, you know Stern's ally, sidekick, mm-hmm. deputy commissioner, and obviously he had he had a lot of input as to what was going on. I think the uh, the biggest thing they did they're, they're you know, these, these, not just the NBA people, but the people in those positions, they're very, very bright. And they, they, they see things, the rest of us. I remember being in a meeting when Stern, this goes way back. And Stern, like, I'm going to say, like, the third or fourth time dropped the phrase global. Yeah, mm-hmm. that global. And obviously, yeah. I knew what global meant, but I'm like, like, dude, come on. Uh, you know, we're going to play a, preseason game in mexico city or whatever like give me a break well i got news for it little did i know I mean, you know they have offices in you know like god knows how many countries around the world now yeah. this game is literally a global game yeah and uh, you know they saw that stern and silver they saw those possibilities and they they were a big part in bringing it to fruition you know we're now you're scouting and drafting players in you know in barcelona and and Ghana, as as well as Cincinnati and L.A., give me a break. You know, mm. who would have dreamed? Yeah. 
Well, speaking of global, the Sixers, our team, has quite a few players on it that are from other nations. But we're going to pivot now, Coach, and we want to get some information from you. We want to pick your brain about the 76ers right now. The first question we want to hit you with, Coach Lynham, is very simply, what did you think of the moves that were made in the offseason? Uh, yeah, I think that the moves were were very positive in nature. I think they added to the to the uh, to the roster, and I think uh, like particularly after the Simmons trade, I think that was a a big deal, meaning that their bench wasn't good enough. And if you hope to advance, you know, deep into the playoffs and be a legitimate contender to win an NBA title, you have to you have to have a bench that's going to be ready to perform. So I think they took very good steps in, in, in terms of like addressing that issue, the, the powers that be, whether Doc Rivers, Daryl Morey and the respective staffs, uh, it was pretty, pretty evident that uh, they had to, to improve. And I think they did. Before you got on, Lucas and I were talking about a player who's still available in the free agent market, and that's DeMarcus Cousins. But also Carmelo Anthony is out there still waiting to get signed. If we just put it on you right now, flip a coin or whatever you think who would fit better in this roster. If you had a choice as a coach or as a GM between DeMarcus Cousins and Carmelo Anthony on this Sixers roster, who would you pick? Uh, for me, uh, at this point in time, now come trade deadline, I might feel differently, but I would say neither. Uh, okay. Mm, okay. And, and it, I don't mean to disparage either one of those players, obviously, you know, both of them are a little long in the tooth now, have seen their better playing days, you know, are are either or both capable of, you know, filling in in a really important like little game deep in the playoffs and giving you five, four or five minutes. I'd say, yeah, very possibly. But uh, no, I, I, right now, that would not not be my focus. Uh, you, you don't want, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm going to uh, let take take. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, who was a terrific player in his heyday, uh, probably didn't get enough credit for how skilled a player he was. But they were back in the days. Uh, uh, right now, if I were the Sixers, I'd be thinking more, let's see what Paul Reed and Bassey can do. Give them time. Okay. And then, and then okay. determine, come, you know, as you approach trade deadline, whether either or both of those guys are good enough. And understand, you're talking about somebody filling in, you know, for a short stretch of time, short minutes. Let me, I'm going to say, I'll use the word digress, but to me, it's not a digression. That you asked a question that with respect to the Sixer moves in the offseason. And I understand that fans get, you know, that's what they focus on. They get very excited about. And I said that it's important because the Sixers had to upgrade their bench. If you don't have a good bench, you're probably not going to be able to win the whole thing. However, in terms of import, what is important that's like down the list the sixers to be a legitimate title contender before worrying about the bench you ready they need a healthy joel and beat that's mm. what they need amen if you don't have a healthy <laughs> joel and beat you're not going to win a title right and i and i pose questions i'll say like Embiid led this league in scoring last year he averaged over 30 points a game you know what Embiid averaged in the miami series if you take a shot, if you don't know, 20, 20, uh, no, 23, no, 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 no. 18. Right he, I think it oh. was 18. Wasn't it? It was, it was 19.8. Oh, I, wow. Ooh, I was so close. Okay. So he dropped my point because yeah. he did a yeah, fractured orbital bone in his face. 
and he had a torn ligament in his hand. Yeah. Okay. You can how uh, you can't expect to be able to contend for a championship. Joel Embiid is such a vital part of your team that you need him reasonably healthy. Mm-hmm. And and all you have to do is they look at the history of it. Look at his numbers. It's he's not been healthy. It's that simple. And some of it might be bad luck. Remember the one year when Fultz like banged him. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. A lot of these things have been freakish for me. But I'm just telling you, you can improve the bench all you want. You don't have a healthy Joel Embiid. Fool's gold. And I think mm-hmm. there's a second thing I'll, I'll put right on the same par. You need James Harden to be able to perform at a level going back, like approaching who he was in terms of his ability to score. That mm-hmm. he's still a terrific distributor of the ball, yes. But you need Harden to be a bit more of an offensive threat, in my opinion, if right. you're going to play the mm-hmm. way they've played this past season. So those two things, I think, are vitally important if the Sixers you know, aspire to be a championship contender. I think uh, you can count on Harden being in shape this season. He, he had a birthday recently, and he, he literally threw a birthday cake off the boat at his own party. So it looks like he's trying to cut the calories, Coach. You might, you might get a, a healthy Harden. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, you know, being in shape, you know, maybe that was one of the factors. But I, don't, I think that uh, hamstring, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was problematic. I don't think he was himself. But he has to be able to he has to be able to play the type of game more like I'm not asking to roll the clock back. You know, Harden, again, he's getting older, mm-hmm. uh, but his ability penetration is a huge part of his game. He's got to be able to go by people. I mean, go by them, not not just like dribble toward the goal. You make plays in this league, you get get higher percentage scoring opportunities. You draw fouls when you blow by people, not just dribble toward the goal. If the defender's still in front of you or on the, you know, kind of hugging you a bit, that's not good enough. He's got to get back to the penetration game that he was really, I mean, like almost singularly unique at. When he wanted to go by, he went by, period. Mm, End yeah. of story. You need a little bit more of that James Harden in the playoff, and hopefully that will lead to more trips to the foul line for him. And, you know, the, the refereeing has, has hurt James. They don't give him, I, I think he, unfairly for me, yeah. I don't think he gets the benefit of the whistle to the degree that he should, and definitely to the degree that he used to when he dominated this league in scoring. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Certainly, Coach. I, I certainly agree. And I'm going to switch gears now. Yeah. So, Coach, we, we kind of came up with a term here to describe the four essential players on the Sixers roster. We call them the core four. And I'm going to bring up each player and you tell me what your initial thoughts are, what comes to mind when you hear their name. So I'm going to talk about Tobias. Let me know what you think about Tobias Harris first. Uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, I, I don't I have to say that I think Tobias is a tad bit underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for what he's done, I think he's done a decent job. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, for whatever reason, some percentage of folks 
you know, they fixate on how much money he makes. And to yep. me, that's has nothing to do. I mean, he so he he makes some certain, you know, dollar amount. I mean, whether he made half that, three quarters of that or twice as much as that. What's that have to do with the player? And so you look at at, at the player. Uh, and I think who who he is on this team, he, he's a key part. And I think he does that, fulfills that role pretty good. If you look at his playoff numbers these past two seasons, you know, they're, they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think, um, I think especially with the, the, you know, the ascent of, of Tyrese Maxey, uh, I like, I like your, you guys said your, you know, those four guys you refer to as your core, you know, group. And I, I agree with you. If, if they can uh, all pull their, their part of the load, you, that's a pretty good four, four players. I don't care who you're going against. Mm-hmm. I certainly agree. I think Tobias has been un- has been underappreciated and he has embraced the role as ultimate role player for the Sixers. The next guy I want to bring up is Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it really is uh, hard for me uh, to uh, overstate like how fast he's come, how how fast, mm-hmm. and how far. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, my, I liked him from the outset when he got here. Uh, you know, I, I knew enough people who thought he was a, a real good prospect, and he had a lot of game. And I think Mark Jackson has alluded to it a lot, that uh, if he were like a higher-level shooter, um, and maybe if there was an NCAA tournament that year, that because mm-hmm. of the COVID there wasn't, uh, either mm-hmm. or both of those conditions, uh, he would have been a much higher draft pick. Mm-hmm. But having said all that, his speed is is just uh, you know really uh, something to behold. There aren't many guys in the open court who just have the burning, blazing speed that Maxi has. But he's got a lot more than that. He complements that that ability to run by people. That when he gets in the basket area, whether it's half court or you know in the open floor, when he has a variety of ways that he can finish. He's a terrific finisher. Either hand, either side, right side, left side. And he's got that little floater that he shoots on top of it. So his driving game is is just, I mean, way back, uh, one of our producers at uh, at NBC like likened him to um, San Antonio, Tony Parker. And really? I at the time, yeah, I thought at the time there were, there were elements of Parker. Yeah, I, I could see it. But his, and as good as Parker was, uh, and I'm a Tony Parker fan. Come on, he's got what four rings, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, Maxi Speed, uh, he would leave Parker at the starting gate. Oh yeah, I, I feel he's that that explosive in the open floor. But where he's really made the, the strides that are just hard to comprehend is, is his three point shooting. Mm-hmm. He was he had the fifth best shooting or maybe fourth best three point shooting percentage in the league this year. So I think it's, uh, you know, when you look at guys who can get hot for a short stretch, well, this guy did it for a season. Mm-hmm. And I think just his his personality, he's dynamic. He has his work ethic. He's he's like, he's, he's magnetic. He's got so many parts, you know, to the, to, you say, well, the player Tyrese Maxey. I mean, you run out of descriptive phrases for trying to describe <laughs> exactly. who the guy is. I'm, yeah, I don't mean exactly. to put it, you know, obviously saying all right, you mm-hmm. know, I'm putting pressure on him in, a, in an indirect way i guess but so big i mean i just think uh, the sky literally is the limit for him mm-hmm. 
we 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 both all three of us even though chris isn't here we, we all agree that this could very well be an all-star season for maxi if he makes that next step and the, the sixers could very well have three all-stars this year with maxi being that third guy i think we all think that i don't know if that's how you feel coach any thoughts on that no i i it's a possibility uh, i mean if he if he plays the whole season you know the way he played what the last two thirds or three quarters last year. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, again, you know, it, it's imperative that these guys each, you know, when, when you have a, a team, a group, you know, you, everybody has to find their niche mm-hmm. uh, that Maxie's capable of scoring 20 points a game. That's a given. Now, is that the best way for him to play? Uh, Cause to score 20 points, obviously you have to take so many shots and the coach structures an offense. So you get those opportunities uh, you know, that's to be determined. Uh, but yeah, that he has all-star level ability, uh, I think that, yes, uh, that's true. So I'm looking yeah. real quick. James Harden averaged 13.6 shot attempts last season for the Sixers when he got to Philly. Mm-hmm. And for Maxi to flourish and get to the all-star level, he will have to average more than 20 points a game. And that would mean that Harden might have to take less shots. I don't know if... Embiid would actually do that because he's such a focal point of the offense. But, but yeah, I hope coach that Maxi can take another leap because that just means the yeah. Sixers are that much better. No, I, uh, you're, you're kind of uh, analyzing it correctly. And I'm not saying Maxi has to score 20. In other words, that's mm-hmm. the coach's job. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, oftentimes it's some with input from front office, but ultimately mm-hmm. the coaches in that coaching room, you have, it's not uh, the parallel. I do a lot of parallels with football. You know, uh, what percentage of the time do the Philadelphia Eagles, are they supposed to run the ball versus pass the ball to max out the talent that's on this team? Obviously, there are more weapons uh, on, on the Philadelphia Eagles this year in terms of guys who can catch a ball. Uh, so, therefore, it, it begs the question. Do we do we want to run the ball as much as we did last year, or can, mm-hmm. can we like pass a higher percentage of time? Well, that same type of thinking goes into the basketball scheme. You know, you don't just roll the ball out there and you know figure out by chance uh, you know who's going to get the shots. Uh, and that's not mm-hmm. how it works. Certainly agree there, Coach. Next player is James Harden. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I thought that Harden, uh, all things considered, uh, you know, given that he when he came and is adjusting to a new team, and I think it's fair to say he was not 100% healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought he did a decent job. I, I do think the way they the team played and the, given the talent that was on the team, that they needed a bit more of an offensive threat from him, meaning taking mm-hmm. the – trying to create more for himself. And I thought he did a very good job of distributing the ball and getting other people involved. But the fact of the matter is, you know, when you're in close games, last two minutes, I think there was a game in the playoffs in the, where he took, what, two shots in the second half. Yeah. You know, if you, if you have a 10-point yeah. lead and, and <laughs> you win the game, fine. But if your offense, you know, is struggling a bit, then, then you, you look to somebody like James Harden given his track record uh, to be able, you know, to generate shooting opportunities uh, of, 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 of a nature that are going to be a high percentage 
where he has mm-hmm. a good chance to make the shot and or get fouled. And th- again, that's something that has to be determined. If in fact, that's not who he is at this point in time, then you need another answer. Whether it's Maxi becomes a bigger threat in the last two minutes of a close game, or whether you want to get something from Tobias Harris, but you can't be as a coach on the sideline in June in a like game six on the road in the second round of the playoffs, like, what am I going to run? You have, mm-hmm. you have to, you have to make decisions with based on confidence. You know who these players mm-hmm. are and you know what you can realistically expect. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I think, uh, you know, if we get the James Harden that we had last year, I think Tyrese Maxey has to make that next step. But if we, do, if we don't, and we get something closer to the pre hamstring injury, then I, I don't know if Maxey's going to take quite that step. And I think Harden, will get himself a uh, nice lucrative deal after this year. But let's go to the man, the big man himself, Joel Embiid. I, I honestly believe that if he was not injured during that second round of the series, we would have won it. But what are your thoughts for Embiid? Well, yeah, I, uh, I'm i with you. I, I've had those same feelings in years past uh, where he just he wasn't uh, the same player in the postseason because of injury that he had been during the regular season. I mean, this guy is, he dominates, um, you know, I, I thought he was the MVP of the league. I agree. Uh, I know Jokic, you know, won it for the second straight time. And um, again, I'm not in any way demeaning the Joker. I mean, I think he's a phenomenal player. I think a beat is clearly a better defensive player. Uh, and, and that's why I would give him the nod because he's yeah. so, good at both ends and I know some people might like Jokic more than Embiid offensively uh, you know I would say I, I would put the two of them on a par offensively you know they're both mm-hmm. just they're so well-rounded and Jokic might have an edge in terms of his passing he's a phenomenal passer mm-hmm. uh, but Embiid is uh, you know he's got a lot of a lot of incredible parts to his offensive game and you know defensively he just late in games he just makes game-saving plays night in and night out. Uh, mm-hmm. So the big question for Joel, it's, it's not about his talent or about his game. It's about can he stay healthy and be healthy, you know, as as the team gets into the playoffs. Yeah. So, Coach, before we get to the last question, I, I do want to – you're talking about Embiid. It's safe to say that the top play, most memorable play that Sixers fans will have etched in their brains for many years to come – is that game-winning shot against Toronto in Game Three? Yeah, I, of, I know the shot. The, yes. So take us take us through your mind. You were in the studio, obviously, or you were watching the game alongside Mark Jackson before he took that shot. What were you thinking? And then after he made that shot, what went through your yeah, mind? Yeah, to be honest with you, uh, it was such an incredible shot. I mean, a guy flying in his face. You know, a little bit of a turnaround to it. You know, way over toward the sideline, fading away. Uh, I mean, but he. I and being the, the stuff that he does consistently, night in and night out, nothing, no one play is ever going to surprise me mm. because, and I can't see how it could surprise anybody because of what this guy he makes the spectacular look routine, is what he does. <laughs> he does, wow. no, he, well he really, yeah. he, what he does, you get when you watch it over and over again, you get desensitized. Yeah, do you follow me? I mean, I'm, I remember like. Uh, after I don't know what part of the season, but his the first game he played, he made three threes. His first yeah. NBA game, this seven one two eighty 
pound center. He made three three point shots. I mean, please. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm like falling out of my shoes watching this guy, and he just he continues to amaze. And I'll tell you something else. It's maybe it may be his biggest among these qualities that he's had that's so unique is when he decides he wants to like add something to his game. He does it. He can yeah. do it. Yes. I mean, think about that. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's, I mean, you, you can go to any sport and like uh, somebody like in baseball say, well, I, I got to learn to hit it to the other field. Guys go a career and can't do that. This guy routinely adds stuff. I mean, that one footer he added, that was Dirk Nowitzki shot. He copied yeah. it and mm-hmm. in the off season, he learned how to do it. And like last year, he started pushing the ball. I think it was because that uh, Jokic does that. And Jokic mm-hmm. won the MVP. Mm-hmm. He started rebounding and pushing the ball himself off the dribble and making plays at the yeah. other. I mean, you know, yeah. when I say make a play, he, he'll take a wire to wire mm. and score the ball, but he'll kick it to somebody for a three-point shot. I mean, please, this is <laughs> you just, I mean, I've watched a lot of great players. I mean, going all the way back to Chamberlain and you know, Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Bill Walton. None of those. You can put all those guys together. They don't do the things this guy does. Wow. He averaged four over four assists a game, career high for him last season. I think he made it. He made it. He wanted to make a statement. Clearly, nobody's going to be as good as Jokic as a playmaker, especially as a big man. I, I will argue right now that Jokic is the best playmaking big man, even better than uh, Sabonis in Portland. I, I think that's fair to say at this point. But, well, he he's certainly on a par. Uh, I mm-hmm. hesitate to, you know. When you get you, you saw guys, him play a lot more than I did, but yeah, well, I was in the gym with some bonus. Uh, exactly, I, I was an assistant in Portland when he was still there. But no, that's the, right. Uh, your point is well taken. That it's, mm-hmm. uh, but understand again, scheme mm-hmm. has a lot to do. Jokic mm-hmm. gets the ball, you know, in the passing to to like be the focal point of creating for teammates a lot more than Embiid does. Yeah, because otherwise you wouldn't be utilizing James Harden. James mm-hmm. Harden's running a ton pick and rolls the Sixers I would guess without actually having the cold numbers in front of me they're going to run the pick and roll a lot more than Denver's going to run the pick and roll particularly with the little uh what's his name Jamal uh, Jamal Murray Murray right uh, you know was still uh, injured he'll be back this year so maybe maybe the scheme changes a little Yoki's assist may go down a little because Murray's going to be doing his thing scheme is huge Scheme mm-hmm. is huge. So, Coach Lynham, this is the last question of the night, and this is fittingly associated with how this season you predict will end, or actually how it will end, knowing that so many things have to fall the way of the team that is going to advance to the finals and win the finals. It's not easy. You've been around this game for decades. So our question to you is, how much championship potential does this team have and what will the Sixers have to do to win an NBA title? Yeah, I, I think it's a fair question and a good question to end on. Uh, there's no doubt that this team is a championship contender, in my mind, if if you have a healthy Joel Embiid, and I think there's a good chance that he will be healthy at the end of the season, and if James Harden can stay healthy also, because I don't think he was at his best in terms of personal health at the end of last year. And I think these two guys, I, I, I believe their mindsets are in the right place. I think they're on a mission. 
And I think there's enough complementary talent, both. I think you guys referred to the core four. I like the phrase. And I think this four, you can stock this four up against anybody you want in the league. And I mean that. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. beauty in the eye of the beholder. But if somebody likes, let's say, Giannis and Middleton will be back. Uh, and Drew Holiday is a terrific player. So somebody said, I like the four in Milwaukee. Well, if you like them, it's not a knockout. It's a decision. You follow me? Mm-hmm. You like them by, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm putting my two fingers, a thumb and a forefinger together a little bit. You know, the, these mm-hmm. teams are, are very, very close, the top teams in talent. And the Sixers are right there talent-wise in terms of any of these other contenders. So, yeah, I think the, I give them a really, really legitimate chance and just, uh, you know, knock on wood. Hope, hopefully they can put their best out there when it counts in, you know, what I call late May into June. And I think if they're able to put their best out there, I mean, their best guys are healthy, then I think they'll have a real shot. So, Coach Lynham, I said it to start the podcast, and we're going to say it to end it. You are a fixture in the community of the Philadelphia 76ers. When I was a kid growing up, you were a huge, huge part of my basketball fandom, seeing you on the sidelines. And Lucas and I truly appreciate you taking the time out to to talk Sixers with us. Thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. Go Sixers. And with that being said, uh, on behalf of Lucas and myself and Chris, who's not here, Again, we thank Coach Lina for joining us tonight on the Sixer Sense podcast. If you have not subscribed, please do so. You know how to find us. That being said, we'll get you guys next time on here with more content on the 76ers. You guys take care out there. Powered by Riverside. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.